0: Welcome to It's Mercedes, Honest Conversations for Freedom-Minded Women. I'm your host, Mercedes, founder of Libertas Sisters, and every episode, I invite a guest to discuss topics such as femininity, relationships, the culture war, self-reliance, politics, and freedom, and let's be honest, whatever else I'm in the mood for. So pop in those headphones, pour yourself a beverage, and settle in. Let's get this episode started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of It's Miss Sadie. Today, I'm very excited for uh, my guest, Landon Starbuck. She is a fearless defender of freedom, advocates uh, for trafficked and exploited children and women. She's a national activist who's sitting on several boards and organizations that work towards countering human trafficking. And she's also uh, organized a few rallies across the United States and to the U.S. border in order to bring attention to Sex trafficking for in both chi- children and women. Today, we're going to be kind of focusing around the topic of children. Thank you so much, Landon, for uh, joining me today. How are you? Thank you so much, Mercedes, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and have these important discussions. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of open up. You know, we I gave everybody a quick little synopsis about what it is that you do. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with you. Give them a little bit of background story of not just what you do, but what led you to get involved in this uh, focus of human uh, trafficking and exploitation.
1: Absolutely. Well, um, going back, you know, I came from a broken home and I had this dream to be a singer. Um, And I moved to Hollywood and and became um, a singer and a songwriter. And I was fortunate enough to chart on Billboard and tour and um, had some success. Uh, but as I was you know, involved in that industry and was exposed to other rising uh, stars, things like that, um, I saw a lot of uh, the exploitive underpinnings um, that are very much uh, apparent to anybody who's been in that industry or worked in that industry um, that, that happen, and, and what I mean by that is a, a sexual quid pro quo system. And while I did not participate in that, um, I had to ultimately decide you know, morally, do I want to contribute to this industry? Do, can I change it? And um, ultimately I decided that if I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to be unbridled and I wanted to make the music I wanted to make uh, without having my image controlled, my lyrics controlled, you know, all of that messaging and um, I'd have to leave and I'd have to do it on my own terms. Um, and so that is ultimately what I decided to do. And um, I used my music for a number of years uh, as like a medium to draw awareness to exploitation and to trafficking. Um, so my song content would would help open that conversation. And um, I donated all of those proceeds to organizations that I, I loved and worked with. Um, but ultimately, God put it on my heart that, you know, this is not where my future is. You know, I, I love music. I'll always make it. But my voice in, in, in speaking truth and speaking um and relating to people this information in a way they can understand it um and and turn them into people actionable people that can actually make a difference is what I feel called to do in my life. And so I, I put down my guitar, I put down my, my piano for now, um and and just you know dedicated my life to this advocacy.
0: Well and I think it's really cool that you also took your talents and your passion for singing. And it doesn't mean just because that you wanted to you know, advocate for this, like on this mission, but that you can also use your gifts in order to do that. It's not an either or situation. So you mentioned that you got into uh, music, Hollywood, you were looking to be, make a living out of it and that you left it because of what you saw in regards to kind of like, I'm assuming like the quid pro quo If you want to get your name seen, or if you want this contract, you got to scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And I think historically we have seen like through generations, there's always been a pretty consistent argument or message about um, Hollywood or movies or music being over-sexualized. And it just seems to get like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, is it because we're consuming so much social media that it seems to be getting worse or was, and was it bad back then? And we just didn't know about it. Um, And then it seems to be, I don't know if it's morphing or we're just becoming more aware of how there seems to be an increase in sexualizing children specifically. Um, I have, what is your thoughts on that? Do you think it's kind of always been there? Do you think maybe our culture is com- contributing to it? Like, let me know what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely.
1: Well, what I've learned um, is that, you know, Hollywood and the entertainment industry as a whole has always operated under exploitative circumstances, going back to the days of Shirley Temple. Um, and if people do a deep dive onto some of those um you know examples from those earlier days in Hollywood. You know where children were dropped off on set, left alone with directors. Later on, talked about you know their abuse and and rape and how they were coerced into you know being commodities, which is actually child trafficking. We now now have a term for that. We recognize what is being done to them and what was done to them is child trafficking. Unfortunately, people don't realize it still exists. You know, and we see so many Disney stars, Nickelodeon stars. You know, we, we see the the arc. Uh, of their careers as they start as children, and then we, you know, they they hit rock bottom. They they develop horrible addictions, um, and we watch it all. And it's it's kind of become a sensational, acceptable form of entertainment. And um, you know, my my message isn't you know to really like oh let's feel sorry for celebrities, but recognize how we're involved. Like these attachments that we're developing even in our children from a very young age by uh, exposing them to media. You know that that relational aspect is what keeps us all hooked on it and if you think about the whole entertainment industry you know it is the marketing arm for exploitation for trafficking and so you know just understanding that and how like the mere exposure effect works right in advertising the more somebody sees something the more normal it becomes the more acceptable it becomes and, and human behavior then you know follows that so hypersexualism is, is the easiest way, you know, to, to, uh, driving human factors, you know, this drive for survival to eat, um, and then sex, uh, to procreate. And so, you know, people know that advertisers know that it is the quickest way to tap into that human drive. Um, and that's why they've used it, but, you know, at what expense, at what cost and, and how it's evolved into uh, completely moral lines completely obliterated, and you have this other element of like of Marxism coming in as well. And people don't understand. You know, China has a lot of control over Hollywood, and it's one of the reasons you'll never really see a Hollywood celebrity speak out politically about anything yeah. that goes off script <laughs> from what they're allowed to say. Um, these these contracts are real and so there's that 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 aspect too about you know subversion ideological subversion of our society demoralizing it destabilizing it and one of the quickest ways ways to do that is by hijacking healthy sexuality the family dynamic those those moral views of of sex being something that is trust based respect based uh, a, a, a intimate you know thing and, and now it's a commodity it's just this this uh you know the postmodern sexual revolution movement which is now you know, eroded those moral lines down to where children, it's, ex, it's acceptable now to sexualize children.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I had had that very similar thought and everything that you see, even on like, for example, not too long ago, I was, when I first got on TikTok, i I have a TikTok, but I don't actually TikTok. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I just watch them. And I, and also when Instagram and competition started doing their reels, you know, the little dances are very, common. You know what I mean? And then you see young girls who are seeing grown women do these dances, and then they mimic that. And you see them unconsciously, I think, you know, start to sexualize themselves because these are suggestive um, dances that they're doing. And Granted, there's supposed to be some rules about what age you are, but they still get on there. They still see them. They still get on their friends' phones and they see them. And then I've just that whole idea. And that's just a small way that I I see where it kind of leaks into specifically our children. And then the more we see it as we scroll, we ourselves, if we're not in tune with what's going on, start to get um, desensitized to it. And then I, I think, and then to kind of bring back the comment that you made in regards to Marxism is that it almost seems as if in order that a tool of Marxism is to take away the innocence of children, because it almost, it also takes away a responsibility from the parents, like that parent. Uh, child relationship and I don't have children. So this is just kind of like my conclusion from what I'm seeing. Like, do you see that tie also that there is, it's almost like there, I I'm not hundred percent sure. And you can tell me what your opinion on this, if it's a purposeful goal to remove that innocence from children. So they kind of become already more adult, more independent and less dependent on the parent, which then ultimately affects you know, the the nucleus of the family. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, going back to Karl Marx, you know, uh, attacking the nuclear family is essential for Marxism to thrive, for communism to thrive. And if you look at, you know, historical examples, Cuba, I mean, Mao, I mean, all of these examples show that they attack the family because the family is the strongest defense, not only against exploitation and trafficking, but against, um, you know, tyranny, against all of these, uh, evil, uh, ideological concepts that, that are, that are designed to subvert and, and, um, infiltrate, you know, freedom. And, um, this has been going on for so long. It's just that now all of these, uh, examples and, and, uh, are so apparent and we have policy now to literally remove parental rights. We have policy now where children are literally, um, able to consent to medical life-changing medical, uh, procedures without parental consent or involvement. And then you look at, you know, globally, uh, we have a child sexual rights agenda coming from the United Nations, the United Nations Population Fund, Planned Parenthood Federation, you know, all of these global entities that, and it's, it's also, you know, in, uh, intersects the, you know, sustainability goals, all of that. Um, and that, that ideology is exactly what you're talking about, is about separating the children from the parents, because if they can do that, then they can more successfully and more rapidly uh, indoctrinate children to themselves demand their own rights to to themselves demand that they they are able to have access to the internet to information to sex with with whomever they want whenever they want that kind of thing so they are demoralizing and indoctrinating children and the and taking away the parental rights to do anything about that um, and we're seeing that in a myriad of ways right like with with the gender stuff with the um, with the sexuality stuff, all of these things that's already happening in schools um, and what parents are, it, 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 we have to fight for parental rights first and foremost, but we also have to recognize that if we're still putting our kids in these government schools, they're not public schools, they're not serving, they're not a service to the public and you don't have a choice. But if you're putting your child in a you know, government uh, indoctrination center, um, you know, we, we're, we're exposing our children to this indoctrination And it's dangerous, Um, and you know that's one of the reasons I advocate for school choice because uh, parents should have a choice no matter what their zip code is uh, for for education. Um, And so, you know, so many people are trapped, and I and I understand that and sympathize with that. Um, But it doesn't change the nature of what is happening to these children when they're dropped off at that at those schools.
0: Absolutely, I think you know we went through a period where the assumption was what kids were being taught were the basics of education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And it wasn't until COVID that it got exposed that, you know, the children were being exposed to a lot more information that parents weren't comfortable with. And this, you know, this opening children up to topics of sex, um, I think should be very specific on the maturity of the child and what the parent knows best when they're ready to hear that kind of information. And I know that even when I was in school, initially that whole the whole idea of sex education was first introduced. So it isn't a brand new thing. It just seems to be an escalation of something that started even when I was in grade school. And I remember when I was in grade school, and I'm, you know, this was in the 80s, you know, it was a big drama and uproar just to basically teach the birds and the bees. And now we have, you know we're telling kids that they can keep things a secret and only tell their teacher whether or not they want to identify as a certain gender or potentially even medically transition, uh, depending what state you're in. So I think that is just, you know, um, a continuation of, of the state that we're in, in regards to taking it, you know, having the innocence of children Gate kept by the government versus by their children, by their parents, which is really unsettling. So, earlier to kind of go back around to something that you mentioned earlier, is um, I think a lot of times when people hear the term sex trafficking, they get that image of taken. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a teenager that's on a retreat and she gets taken and she ends up on some yacht to be bid on by some random rich dude or whatever. Not to say that that doesn't happen, but I think that's typically the picture when people think of sex trafficking. And it wasn't until recently that I learned that it's not necessarily that an individual is taken a child or a woman specifically is taken and then sold or prostituted, but that it happens in other ways, even within the home. So can you tell us a little bit more about the, this maybe contrast, like the stereotype of what people think is sex trafficking and what sex trafficking looks like in real life?
1: Absolutely. I mean, Hollywood, you know, here we go again with, um, the stuff that they put out that, it, you know, it, it does a disservice. And then, you know, don't get me started about the media and all the propaganda articles that they put out, you know, calling child trafficking a conspiracy theory, like the Atlantic.
0: Yeah. I was totally going to touch on that too, eventually. Cause I was like, at some point where I remember when over this, I don't even remember exactly when it was maybe a year ago, there was a lot more discussion about Save the children, sex trafficking. And the news was, these people are just a bunch of right-wing crazy people right. that are just making stuff up. So I just want to put a pin on that because I also probably want to touch on that too. But going back to what sex trafficking looks like. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, when we think of sex
1: trafficking, you know, in America, because I think that we do need to have a focus on what's happening in our own backyard. You know, we, 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 there, it happens all globally, right? And if you think of human trafficking, um, just in the most simplistic way to understand it, it's exploitation of a vulnerability. And in other parts of the world, sometimes that biggest vulnerability is poverty. Um, and that is what drives, you know, culture norms, things like that to where people are literally selling their children and it's acceptable. Um, but to, so to understand because it's so multifaceted and complex, let's just talk about America, right? What, how does it present in America? What are the vulnerable, vulnerability uh, points? And yes, poverty is one, but poverty, unlike what many say, and this is misinformation, Poverty is not the root cause of human trafficking. For that to be true, you'd have to equate poverty with somehow uh, immorality or being evil. And poor people who are poor are not immoral or evil. Um, it is a circumstance and it is a vulnerability. Um, and that, that vulnerability is what uh, it puts someone at risk. It doesn't drive a demand for trafficking, right? And so sex trafficking is one of the most prevalent forms of trafficking in the United States. There's many ways to exploit uh, a human being um and you know when we're talking about children there's organ organ trafficking that happens here i mean there's all sorts of, of ways to exploit a human being unfortunately um but you know what what i focus on is children what's happening to children in america and the most common form of uh sex trafficking with children is happening familially. so it's happening within the family or within some uh somebody in that child's um you know, it's safe circles.
0: Yeah. They have a personal relationship with them and someone is taking advantage of that relationship, which that's I right. think mm-hmm. maybe here in the United States, people are just so much more reluctant to look into the mm-hmm. sex trafficking because the idea that someone, a parent or someone who is close to the child is doing this to them is almost too much for people to accept. And I think that's why they kind of have a tendency to be like, dismissive or not want to you know deal with that issue that we have
1: right well it's scary it's it's really scary thing to um to accept the fact that if we have let's say in 2020 the reports from NICMEC the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um you know over 21.7 million reports of CSAM online that's child sexual abuse material. And what that is, it's not child pornography. It is, it's it's horrible torture of children, sexual torture. Um, it's, uh, you know, most of that content is um, really awful. It's not, you know, I mean, all of it's awful, but I don't think people understand the scope of what there is a demand for. And with that said, that means if we have that many, many children being exploited, that means we have that many pedophiles viewing that content. And so, A very difficult reality, but it is very important to say is that if we have that many children being abused, we have that many pedophiles. And that means that not only do we know somebody or connected to somebody, a child that is being abused, um, but we also know pedophiles. We all do. And why is that a common thing? Like there's always been pedophiles, right? There's always been people that have been on the fringes of this disgusting, you know, dark stuff, right? But now, the demand, there's a demand for it. That is what's changed. And what, what's changed is human behavior. And, and that's why I made that connection earlier. The human behavior is dried, uh, dry, driven Sorry, by the mere exposure effect for coming from Hollywood and the media. It is acceptable. The porn industry, all of these things, move the Overton window, desensitize everyone to not even identify sexual exploitation of children when we see it. We literally had Netflix, you know, with the film Cuties. And, People still have Netflix subscriptions. You know, people just make excuses. And, and that's, that's what we have to do. It, it, this, is the, this is an unglamorous part of this work is it's not fun. It's not rescuing a child um, on a helicopter. You know, the work is actually from within. You know, how how do we relate to these, you know, the demand? How do we relate to that? To,
0: to actually take active action to not say that this is okay. So either through... Yeah you know not watching certain material not subscribing to it not being okay with it like we and that's actually it sounds like a very daunting um task you know especially not because so much of one's personal self control but just because of the prevalence of material that seems to be out there that i think a lot of people might think well how much of a difference is it going to make if i cancel this subscription or if i Uh, you know, get rid of the show or whatever. So I think people probably, but then at the same time, that's a personal responsibility issue, you know?
1: Exactly. So
0: if you're just going to be tossing it up and saying, well, what effect am I going to have? And then you just kind of follow along with the issue, right? you're never going to see the end of it. So this is me processing the whole thing as we're talking about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the hard part, right? Because I mean, obviously, look around at the climate, you know, people have a personal responsibility problem. I mean, we have a whole victim culture, which is the antithesis of self accountability, you know, and I'd say the most prevalent example, and, and one of the biggest drivers of demand is our pornography today, right? It's not what it was in 1980. Not saying I agree with it at all, because I think all, all pornography is exploitive to women. Um, and it's predominantly women that are being exploited and the debasing acts and all that. These are the algorithms, they're not my opinion. Um, you know, so I'm against all of that, but it is different. And, and we have to recognize that, um, you know, children today are, you know, teens on college campuses who, are, who I've, have co- who've confided in me about these things. You know, they tell me these horrific things like, you know, that their sub- sexual, um, you know, encounters are, are debasing acts. They're, they're abused acts that have been normalized.
0: Yeah. It's their first maybe exposure to uh, what is a sexual encounter. And so they end up mimicking it or, you know what I mean? Like that's the example that they have. They think that this is normal. And then Mm -hmm. it becomes an unpleasant experience for the receiver, whoever it may be being, I'm not going to say it predominantly usually negatively affects women, but it can go both ways, or it also because remember, Billie Eilish actually mm-hmm. she did an an interview or something like that of how she was exposed to it very young and how it kind of messed with her mind. Because a lot of people will say, I saw an interview not too long ago. I can't remember who it was, but the the individual was arguing that it's not the pornography itself that's doing it; it's the individual who already had a predisposition. To that kind of material, either because they're antisocial, they have some kind of mental health relationship issue, and that it starts with maybe like a taste and then it gets progressively worse. But ultimately, when it gets to that extreme level, that was really what they were always going for. They were just afraid to get there. Like, do you agree with that idea?
1: Yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, you, behaviorally, what they're trying to do is is take the science of addiction, right? Because there are so many similarities with, with the chemicals in the brain and the way the addiction, uh, you know, pans out. And, and sure, certain people are, um, you know, genomically more predisposed to those expressions of addiction, right? Becoming more easy. And if you have ACEs or, or trauma, ACEs being adverse child events, uh, early on in childhood, that's going to probably make it more likely you are going to, you know, devolve on that spectrum of pornography. Right. Um, but the bigger issue is that this is being artificially engineered. Like the, the, the algorithms don't just reflect demand. They reflect what, uh, the, what is going to get more click-throughs. So, um, they actually curate, Uh, you know, this debasing content, racist content, all sorts of depraved content. And that, you know, it feeds itself. And and the nature of it is inherently exploitive. You know, there is no way to determine, to verify age and consent. There just isn't a way There's And that means there's no way to tell if there, if it's truly a consensual experience versus a forced, coerced experience. Um, And people don't realize, you know, Porn is prostitution on camera. It's the same thing, but you can be an actress and get paid, and somehow it's not prostitution. So these are the, these are the culture norms. These are the the ideas that we've been sold that we have to dismantle to understand what we're watching is exploitation, what we're normalizing is exploitation, and and that until that work is done, th- this this demand is only going to grow because it's acceptable, right? Yeah. So so I I push back on that completely because you know. I always say this, um, this quote is that if a woman truly knows her worth, no man alive would be able to
0: afford her. You know, there's no price. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. And I, I think about, cause you were talking about like, this is different and I'm not, I have not been a, a avid consumer. So I can't really specifically say how it was material wise from the eighties, but there's definitely, or from before. But the access to it is definitely... And like you said, there's no way to verify the age. There's no way to verify the consent. It's accessible and and free, you know, by the like countless, you know, quantity of pornography is free on the internet. Um, And so it just kind of in that... And then we have algorithms too. So in that way alone, not even talking about the material... It's com- it's a completely different game. And it definitely opens itself up more for exploitation of women and children. And, and I think, you know, even Pornhub, I think had like a big hubbub not too long ago about the fact that a lot of the material that they had on their website was not verified for age or for consent.
1: Yep, that's true. When things became litigious, they suddenly took down over a million videos.
0: So, and then- On the idea of like, when we talked about uh, before, but we went on this rabbit trail because I love my rabbit trails. (laughs) But when we were talking about what uh, child traffic or what trafficking looks like, Mm -hmm. do you have any... So like if I'm encountering either kids in a school program or my child's friends or anything like that, is there anything that maybe you can give as pointers for people to look out for, for possibly a child being a victim of a child trafficking?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, there are very obvious physical markers, um, you know, uh, mental health issues presenting um, as, you know, their movements are controlled, uh, bruises on their body. You know, there's those obvious things where we would recognize something is wrong. And that's, it's very important to attune ourselves to children um, and, and to see those behavioral cues, right? But Um, As far as risk factors go, what I was speaking about earlier is the vulnerability. What makes a child vulnerable? Um, One of the biggest vulnerabilities is, you know, uh, uh, coming um, from a broken home uh, where there's addiction um, or neglect or any of those things. So a lot of the kids in the foster uh, care system are the most at risk. Um, and then you look at, uh, you know, broken families, things like that. We, we all know somebody, who, you know, a single mom who's struggling, um, who, who can't be present for whatever reason. No, no judgment. It's just, it's, it's recognizing that there's a need for the child. And wherever there's a need for a child that's unmet, a trafficker cue in on. And that there's literally playbooks where they're looking for the vulnerability so that they can meet that need and they can hook that child. Um, And so we have to be better at recognizing those needs and helping meet those needs. That is anti-trafficking work. When you recognize, you know, a a big brother, big sister program, a child in need, um, helping uh, give a ride home, being a friend, those things, I mean, again, they're not glamorous, but that is anti-trafficking work that literally is saving the life of a child. Um, by getting to them and intervening before the, the exploiter, the trafficker, the abuser. Body safety, teaching children body safety is absolutely non-negotiable, um, the, especially with, with the rampant exploitation, right? We teach our kids, look both ways before you cross the street, don't talk to strangers. But we don't realize that the exploitation is happening within the home through social media. And that is the, the third thing that I would... Um, say is the best way to protect your children is to not allow them on any social media before they are mentally, physically, spiritually equipped to navigate that world. We would never send our children to a pedophile meetup night at the mall, um, knowing there'd be pedophiles there. We'd never send them alone, you know, knowing that they didn't have the tools to survive in, you know, in the wild. We would never set them up for that kind of failure. And, Parents have to have responsibility and in, in, in stop caring about being the cool parent and say no. No, because I love you. This is exploitive. And teaching them. Why? Teaching them how the algorithms are exploitive. Teaching them how they, the porn lobby gets inside of the Chromebooks at school and tries to hook them so that they don't, you know, don't go after their dreams, so that they become addicted and depressed and anxious, you know these are things conversations we have to have with our kids because there's a war on children from every angle to attack their identity you know their their gender their sexuality um and turn them into commodities turn them into pawns for the state to be little activists there's an attack and war on our children. And it it this is the hardest generation, I think, to parent because we have to parent from the inside of our home all the way out. And it is hard. Yeah. Everybody else is doing something different, right? To say no.
0: Yeah, because there's no, I mean, when it's coming into your house, there's no barrier. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it, unless, I mean, obviously you as a parent need to be responsible of their phone, what they're consuming and everything like that. But then also at the same time, kids will be kids. So- mm-hmm. You know the I know when I was a kid, when I was told I couldn't do something, I'd try and find my work around it. you know, and there and right. it's not to say that they're getting on the social media in order to consume anything that is dangerous. They're getting right. on there to consume innocent content, but it then eventually, either through something that they click or something that the algorithm senses, will start to feed something maybe less appropriate, age appropriate in. So, I wanted to ask you, though, just real quick before you keep because you've mentioned trafficking, and then you know you talked about in the child's home when you use the word trafficking, yeah, because when I think about it, I think of it's an individual that's taking advantage of someone who is vulnerable and then also using them as a commodity, so either taking pictures of them or videoing them, and then selling it, creating some kind of profit or heaven forbid, bringing in other like-minded individuals. I'm trying to like (laughs) use correctly, but other um, to also exploit the child as opposed to when I think of the term, um, a pedophile, for example, Um, it's specific to, you know, maybe a uncle parent, teacher relationship specifically with the child, but it's just kept secret between them. Like, is there, am I, is that semantics or? Uh, No, absolutely.
1: It's, it's one of the most important things to understand. Um, And so what, what the most, the best way I can explain So child trafficking and child sexual exploitation are intertwined. And it is in, in, especially online, almost uh, impossible in some cases to differentiate what what is what? And, and the main difference, okay, is with child trafficking, there is more of a, a profit uh, motive. All right. So so it, it could also be something of, of value, like, you know, you can have a free place to stay or I'll pay for your education. You know, you just have to do this, like using force, fraud and coercion. That's the child trafficking umbrella. There doesn't have to involve movement. A child can be trafficked from their own bedroom without actually being physically assaulted by any other human being. And that still is child trafficking. Now, if it's just child sexual exploitation, which is extremely Prevalence, all right. And all forms of child trafficking involve child sexual exploitation. But the difference is with just child sexual exploitation online, there is, um, it, you know, sadly, it's its own commodity and trade value that pedophiles online use to trade. So they're not doing it necessarily to make money. And they're not doing it to necessarily trade something of value for the child. They are just exploiting the child for their own sexual gratification. Yeah. Okay. Um, And yeah. And so it's important to understand that, but it, 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 like I said, I just want to make sure I convey that nuance there is that all child trafficking involves child sexual exploitation. um, You know, unless it's a different form of child trafficking, you know, uh, child soldiers, uh, you know, labor trafficking, all child sexual trafficking involves that exploitation but the motive is different. Sometimes it's just like you said, the uncle filming the child, abusing the child, and then trading it, uploading it online. And that is what we're seeing, unfortunately, millions and millions of reports of. But we can't, we don't have the tools and resources though to absolutely definitively say, oh, this isn't a child trafficking case. You know, we just don't have that yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to see because you can see exploitation. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to trafficking trafficking you know, it's, it's, it's not something unless, I mean, um, unless you get the child or you get the perpetrators and you can show some kind of proof, it's a lot more, it's a lot more difficult to show. Right. Um, and, and that kind of brings me back to, cause remember how I said that we were being called conspiracy theorists, right? Remember? Yes. Yes. So the, the reason I wanted to ask for that specific definition mm-hmm. is because there's always been a general, uh, understanding of what uh, someone who abuses a child is or someone who is a pedophile, like everybody knows kind of like what that idea is. And that in general is something that is, I mean, that is not accepted in society. Um, But then during the summer, it was like of 2020, because 2020 was a weird, let's just be honest, the last two years have been just, they just been weird. And so there was just, there was, but there was a rise in um, protests and attention specifically to child trafficking. And it almost seems like the idea of trafficking is just so more intense and more insane that people are kind of like, no way that's not happening. It's specifically when you try and tie it to anybody of predominance. Um, it's like, people are like, there's no way that someone in, in a position of power, be it politics, music, or whatever is participating in child trafficking. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people will be like, yeah, okay. That's horrible. They were, they're attracted to children. I mean, people make weird jokes about it all the time. But the moment that you say anything about trafficking specifically, you're, you're crazy or you're a conspiracy theorist. Um, wh- Why do you think that happened? Was there any validity in that? Like, kind of give me your thoughts about like that period of time that we seem to have just kind of came and went.
1: Right. So I'm sure we're all aware of uh, certain unnamed conspiracy uh, theories and movements, Right that um, did, you know, draw a a lot of attention to to the issue of human trafficking. And, you know, the sad reality is that, you know, coupled with untruths, it questions the validity and credibility of the big truth, which is the trafficking is very much real. It's not a conspiracy theory. Child trafficking is real. It's not a conspiracy theory. Um, And, you know, the evidence is there to prove all that. But why is it still being promulgated as a conspiracy theory? Well, because it's been politicized, um, the media, which we all know know is left dominated and run, um, sees this as an opportunity to you know defame the right, right? It's just a, it's an opportunity to take something and say, uh, see what you guys did with this movement. you're attached to this movement. you know, it, it's a political motivation. And it is so wildly irresponsible because I agree with the fact that we need to call out uh, conspiracy movements that are not rooted. In fact, that are that are sensational. That are because it's an, another form of exploiting children and and people who have uh, you know survivors that have had to you know go through this horrible trauma. It's re-traumatizing them to to turn it into sensationalism, clickbait stories. Um, and but at the same time, the, instead of the media pointing that out. And listening to to survivor voices and and telling the truth and informing the public, which is their duty as credible journalists, they failed, they failed at every opportunity and not only that they've run pedophile propaganda. Um, So they have it's a slap in the face to victims everywhere, um, and to all the people and advocates in the movement working so hard to try to educate and inform the public and then you have the, the added layer of censorship, again, a left dominated area. And I've been censored, I've been called you know these names and all of that. and you know you have to wonder what is the motivation behind that? And so I, I believe that it is a lot of political uh, motivation for that, but it's also to conceal what what the uh, the driving factors of trafficking. you have to conceal that, the failed policies that are connected. Um, and in the exploitation machine that is Hollywood, the marketing arm of sex trafficking and exploitation. So when you are forced to reckon with the real facts, it is so obvious that these policies drive it. And what perfect more, more, more better uh, example than the border? What's happening yeah.
0: there? So. No, and I think you know. I was thinking obviously the a person who's in power, or if you're in this this circle of influence and either you being the perpetrator or first of all i think people just don't want to have to face like i th- i think about for example what happened with bill cosby like it wasn't specific with children but a lot of people didn't want to accept that what he that he did what he did because they had an emotional attachment to him that's right You know what I mean? And I think the same thing goes for anybody who is in a position of influence. Like it is harder for regular people. And I'm I'm talking about specifically regular people because if if you're in that position of power and you're the perpetrator, well, of course you want to cover it up, duh. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're going to move mountains to people around you and use your influence in order to help cover it up. We saw that with Harry Weinstein, for example, um, and even Epstein and everything. But I think about specifically you know, the reason I brought up Cosby was because everybody has such an emotional attachment to them. And so anybody who has, is a position of influence, and then you find out what they end up doing. It's, it's almost like an attack on yourself because you're like, well, how did I not know this? How did I idolize or follow someone who is clearly so morally corrupt? And I think it's, um, I think because maybe, and this is just me spitballing, maybe that's one of the reasons that like consumers, uh, people such as, you know, ourselves, we might be more reluctant, um, especially if you don't want to deal with the stress of of having to face that situation to, if you're given that excuse, you know what I mean? Of it being a conspiracy theory, then you'll use that excuse as an out because it's like, oh, I'm not it's not me. I didn't follow this person that's made these horrible choices. It's all these other people who are crazy and they're making up this story. Does that make sense? 100%. I mean, you hit the nail
1: on the head. Um, and, and this is, this is, this is the hard conversation, you know, that, that is, um, not popular, but it, there is personal responsibility in this problem. And all of us at some f- some point have helped that demand, you know, whether it's, you know, making excuses for the porn addiction or a subscription to Netflix. And, you know, we are tied, we're enmeshed with this world of consumerism. And the problem is, like you said, when you're when you're faced with that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, this, this person that I trusted, or this person that I have emotional attachment, or this person who I bought their CDs for this many years, you know, I've gone to their concerts, is being accused of this, or, you know, they did it it's not only that you have to reckon with that reality. It's that you have to morally be obligated to change it. And you know yeah. that you have the power to not, not listen, to not subscribe, to not you know follow the celebrity culture, but, but it requires change. It requires the individual to change at the cellular level. And that is difficult. That is the aversion. Yeah. And so that, that is what I've come to, to learn of, of all these years. I've been fighting this, you know, it's like this raging fire and I'm putting all these buckets of water on it, trying to, oh, here's awareness, here's this. And it gets bigger. And that's why I followed those trails of gasoline that I noticed coming from that fire to, to see, what. why does this keep getting bigger? We have millions of dollars being put into this. Why? And and that that is what I, I come to understand about learning about trauma and human behavior is what is driving the demand is the human behavior. What's changing the human behavior media?
0: Yeah. And I think a lot, I mean, we're talking specifically right now, you know, child exploitation and sex trafficking and everything, but really the root of a lot of our issues right now is that, you know, individual responsibility and human behavior and what, you know, the fact that I think a lot of times we have been given by media or by culture, a lot of outs to kind of like eliminate that personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, as flawed human beings, like that's our nature, you know, it's uncomfortable to be reflective and to engage in conflict and to look within or, you know, whatever feeling term you want to use. So, um, but at the root of a lot of the division, and a lot of the issues that we have, I think, you know, it's interesting to me that it all can kind of root from the same place. And it's that lack of, you know, personal responsibility and, um, and like just looking within yourself to make changes that you know, aren't healthy, you know? Right. So, but you touched a little bit and I want to, I wanted to make sure I got this in before we wrapped up because you talked about the border and I know you led a big protest down at the border. Right. And so there's always a ton of conversation around specifically the Southern border And the politics of that about, you know, the humanity of it or the inhumanity of it and that we should have open borders or the borders should be closed. Like there's it's a hot topic. But I think if we were to talk honestly about the repercussions of our current border policies, that even if we might have a debate in regards to like immigration policy, we can have that debate. But... recognizing really what are the issues at the border and how we you know but i think have created policy that is just favoring this um exploitative um issue that we have what like tell me a little bit about what's happening at the border what um effects our policy has had, you know, just kind of expose a little bit of what you have seen in your work down at the Southern border, specifically around this topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, what's happening at the Southern border uh, amongst, uh, you know, all sorts of failed policies and dangerous things like having terrorists come over, uh, people that are multiple convicted sex offenders re-entering the country um, is that you're, you know, the main underlying thing is that the incentive for lawlessness is allowing the sex trafficking and human trafficking, uh, trade as a whole to thrive as a business model. Um, you know, these cartels are making millions of dollars every single day, uh, with the business of trafficking people across the border and children are caught up in the mix and they're being used as pawns. Um, in some cases, um, you know, children are sold, uh, to bring, you know, other adult males over. And they know that with their, you know, revocation of certain policies like the DNA testing to really prove that the the families coming over are together, um, you know, they stopped doing that. There's very little DNA testing is happening. Um, They've also stopped reporting uh, the numbers of sexual assaults on the minors, on unaccompanied minors. Um, and, And I have to, you know, whenever I say unaccompanied minors, again, there's a disconnect there. An unaccompanied minor means a child's already been exploited and it's already been abandoned because any child that's left alone in a desert where 70% of the women and children are raped, that is, that is exploitation. And the fact that we're facilitating that and allowing that by incentivizing that behavior, and there's no repercussions for the cartels, and there's no um, accountability or oversight for these hundreds of thousands coming over. And we had over 2 million, you know, people come over, but I'm talking specifically about the, the the Unaccompanied Minor Children. You know, there's, this is just a, a trade. It's it, when you go down there and see it, you know, it's a trade, it's, it's a business, it's disgusting being run and we're being lied about it. And the, if you notice all the border coverage, it's remember the horse reins thing, that whole, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's where all the,
1: yeah. They, and they'll say, they will throw out the word. Yes. There's human trafficking and smuggling, you know, but they don't break it down. And that is why I was motivated to do, to come down there and show the truth of what's happening and, you know, we were censored and, you know, luckily some media did, did report on that. We're so grateful for that, that voice to amplify the message, but, you know, children are being exploited, raped, trafficked every single day. And and there's no excuse for that.
0: Well, and I think one of the biggest topics that would come up, especially during Trump's administration, which it's happened I believe it happened during Obama's also is the separation, the child separation. So that was what a lot of people would focus in on so much. Um, And I I don't want to give my opinion on it, but what does, does that have anything to do or does that aid or uh, negatively affect anything that has to do with like, what was the idea behind that? You know what I mean? What are your thoughts In regards to the child separation. Yeah, so I've spoken with
1: many border patrols, some of them, you know, have done this for most of their lives. Um, And, uh, again, being down there firsthand witnessing it talking to the families impacted by by these crimes. Um, what people don't realize is how many children are trafficked and how they're being used, and how the cartels use children and drop them over the walls and throw them in the in the river as diversion tactics, so they can get a large amount of people over. You know, children are a commodity; they're trash to these cartels. They're they're are is so horrific what's happening, um, and I've heard so many horror stories. And there's you know things called rape trees where children's underwear um, hangs like souvenirs um, for these traffickers. And, and so, with that said, you know, because that is happening so often, um, and the Trump administration, you know, knew this, and the administration before them knew, knew this, there is a, uh, as a mitigation strategy to protect children that are coming over, especially with all the ones with just single adult males, um, and showing those signs, you have to, to test them, DNA test them to see if they are truly related. And you'll see, you, you know, we've, we've seen reports on this that many of them are not related. Um, and in one case, um, they had the person spit in the child's mouth so that they would, they, they thought that would have somehow affect the DNA so that they could stay with that child. And these children are traumatized. They're drugged in some cases. Um, and it is necessary, just like, uh, you know, in, in police, um, you know, in the community, police in the community, if they suspected, you know, domestic situation or a child being trafficked or abused they the first thing they do is separate them because they have you have to be separated from your your trafficker or, or whomever and and yes you know emotionally it's sad we don't want to break up families we we don't want families to take this dangerous illegal journey in the first place which is why i hold the, the democrats responsible for their irresponsible re- rhetoric they have no intention of helping these people when they come across all they care about are the votes they're they're not they're, none of them are opening their front door to pay for their health care and their food and any of that um, they're, they're just, hey, here's the door wide open. Make sure you vote Democrat. Nobody's helping these people. So that's exploitation in a different form um, and, and, and completely uh, inhumane. So that, that is who I blame for allowing this to continue. These are people that don't understand uh, what is being done, how they're being exploited and the risk involved in sending their children, or in some cases, they're not sending their children. The children are being taken by traffickers and you know held as collateral. So yeah, use as a debt or to pay to off a them. debt or something. You know, yeah. There's just no way around it. You have to separate them for the safety of children.
0: And I get, I mean, this is my this is definitely my own, like my frustration is how that element of child separation is used as a as a tool to pull on people's heartstrings and specifically be like, you see how bad these people are, like who would ever separate their child from their mother. And of course that happens. There are parents that make it across the border with their children. And that unfortunately does happen. But then at the same time, do we risk this horrible future for children? You know what I mean? Because of, I don't know, it's like, it's sound, I don't know, maybe if it sounds heartless or whatever, but I would be like, okay, separate my child or whatever. Let's make sure like these kids don't end up in a worse fate, you know, or have that conversation with your child or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just spitballing here, yeah. but it just is very frustrating to me that it's again, almost like, it's not so much that they care. It's more like they want to look like that they care. Does that make sense? It's this showing off of like, I'm a better person. I don't want mothers and children to be separated. Right without even acknowledging the reason why it's happening so
1: it's moral the moral supremacy platitudes of like yes (laughs) borders build bridges and all this this rhetoric sounds so nice but then when you actually see the lives and you know uh the the just like the aftermath of everything and you see the lives ruined you see the children raped it's not it doesn't sound so nice you know there's no like
0: forethought in the policy you know it's like well if i if i make everything free what ends up happening? What's the consequence of that? You know, yeah, sure. uh, if I make everything open, what's the consequence of that? And they really okay. just want to, they, it, it appears that the focus is more on, you know, what you're doing right now and what makes you look like a compassionate person now, as opposed to having the foresight of the consequences of your choices. Absolutely. Um, yep. So, well, if somebody wants to get involved or help out, um, I know you're on the board of several organizations, you have nonprofits and that sort of thing. Is there anyone in particular that you want to recommend or shout out or tell people how they can support and get involved with this mission?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'll recommend a couple. So, one, it, it we haven't formally announced yet, but I'll I'll go ahead and announce it on your podcast. Um, my my nonprofit is called Freedom Forever, um, and we are an advocacy organization that is is dedicated to changing culture, uh, informing on policy, um, and exposing in sort of a Project Veritas style all of you know the pedophile agenda, all of the things that. Normal anti-trafficking and anti-exploitation, child exploitation organizations just don't really touch, you know, the sensitive topics, the border, things like this. That is the service that we are, are committed to is, is informing the people and, and teaching them how to be effective advocates and, and um, activists in their own community. So that is one, um, you know, organization that would we really appreciate your support. That's freedomforever.us. And then um, the other is Operation Light Shine. I serve on the board of that. Um, And we are in Tennessee, but have plans to branch out uh, nationally. And um, while I can't reveal a lot of the things that Operation Light Shine is going to do, it is a different way of tackling this, which is more of a rescue raid model involving law enforcement, um, the resources, the technologies um, involved in, in c discovery online. Um, it's so exciting. I'm so excited. So, you know, there's so many different um, areas. You know, there's the prevention work, which is what my, my organization stops on Creating more victims, right? And then there's like Operation Lightstein on the other side of that, dealing with the victims we already have and their restoration and care and finding them and rescuing them. It's all needed. So wherever your heart is motivated and led to give to, um, those are two great organizations.
0: Awesome. Well, and I will be sure to include those in the show notes plus your website because I know on your own personal website you have um, the work that you've done with a few other organizations. And where can they follow you if they want to keep up to date with uh, what you got going on? Absolutely.
1: Well, um, I'm on Instagram, Landon Starbuck. I'm on Twitter, Landon Starbuck. Um, Rumble, Landon Starbuck. And then I have a, my website. If you forget the handle, LandonStarbuck.com that has all of that um, and, a, and an email list and all of that to keep you guys updated on things happening in the
0: space. Awesome. I will be sure to keep that also in the show notes so everybody can follow her and support this uh admirable and incredible mission that she has to advocate for sex trafficking and exploited children. And thank you so much, Landon, uh, for spending time and educating us on you know, this important issue.
1: Thank you so much. I so enjoyed the conversation. I love the style of just like having a real conversation.
0: I always like, I always have a few questions and then, but I don't, I don't want to be like question, question, question. I want to have conversations because I think that really kind of helps things develop more. And then as I get ideas It's possible that somebody else is, they're listening to it. They're also thinking about it. And that's why I don't stick specifically to a hard script. And of course, anytime that you want to come back on and talk about this more, or you have a new project that you want to promote, you are welcome anytime.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I, I would love to come back on at some
0: point. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to It's Miss Sadie on its conversations for freedom-minded women. You can find the show notes for this episode at itsmissadie.com. And if you're loving the podcast, I would be so honored if you would go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. And if you would like to have conversations like this with other freedom-minded women, visit libertasisters.com. And community of women founded on the values of femininity, self-reliance, and freedom. You can also connect with me on Instagram at itsmestady or join my email list. Until next time, stay free and stay honest.